Hey there, welcome to XR Industry Leaders with ArborXR. My name is Brad Scoggin, and I am the CEO and one of three co-founders of ArborXR. We've had the opportunity of working with thousands of companies since 2016, and we've learned a ton about what it takes for XR to be successful in your organization. And I'm Will Stackable, co-founder and CMO. This podcast is all about interviewing the leaders who are on the ground making XR happen today. True pioneers in the space, from Amazon, Walmart, and UPS, to Coke, Pfizer, and beyond to uncover the pitfalls, lessons learned, and secrets that you can use to help grow XR in your organization. All right, well, today we get to sit down with Daniel Diaz. Daniel is the Chief Transformation Officer at Magic Leap. Uh, Daniel, it's great to have you on today. Thanks for having me, Brad and Will. So we always like to start hearing a little bit about the the guest's personal background, and you've got a very impressive resume. Uh, one of the things that stood out to me was your your early background in psychiatry. So I'd love to hear maybe about how that has has impacted your perspective, even in your role at Magic Leap. Sure. I'll take you back even a little bit further. My, my undergraduate was in opera. So I was a classically trained opera singer uh, as a younger person um, and then transitioned into studying psychology and got into doing a lot of clinical research for psychiatry. It was a fascination of mine and did a lot of research in looking at how medications are used and how effective they are in treating psychosis in very young children. Um, that led me to, to go to medical school, and uh, which is something that uh, fascinating, and very difficult, and something I did not enjoy very much. Uh, took some time to regroup and did a great fellowship with the American Psychiatric Association around bipolar disorder and looking at those modern treatments versus you know sort of very traditional therapies. And then when it was time to head back into medical school, I, I actually decided to take the step back and went back to what I really love, which is figuring out how to communicate and market things that are really complex and hard to talk about. But that's that's really what I love to do. That's awesome. That's uh, from opera to psychiatry to marketing. Uh, very so it makes cool. for an interesting, it makes for an interesting set of skills, right? So opera is very performative. And so you learn how yeah. to deliver messaging in a way that's highly effective. And the psychiatry and the medical piece is all about understanding how people need to hear messages in order mm -hmm. for them to to understand you in the way that you want to be understood. Um, and you put very analytical research into that. And so you have a very interesting combination of you know performance, uh, lots of analytics, and then the ability to deliver messages in a way that can be received by the by your listener and in a way that you need them to be. And it, it creates an interesting strategic framework for for taking things to market. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that, that's a great kind of segue into the next question. So. I think one of the reasons you brought into Magic Leap was to help with this very public transformation uh, from a consumer company into an enterprise company. And for those, I mean, those that don't know, Magic Leap is a very impressive company. It's been around, I think, since 2010, over 4,000 patents. Um, so very, very impressive, yeah. but, a, but a huge shift from consumer to enterprise. And I, I would yeah. love to hear as much as you can and will share about what that process has been like, how you approached it. Um, sure. So, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, happy to. So I was brought into Magic Leap in December of 2018 by the founder. Um, and uh, it was an interesting move because I was very much a B2B sort of marketing and transformation person. That's what I had done for a big chunk of my career, helping companies move to, into different areas, establish market presence. Um, and you know, so being hired into Magic Leap, which was very much a consumer electronic company, was was an interesting move. And I, you know, I um, talked long with uh, long and hard with Roni about about doing that and why he wanted that and I think he knew that the the shift on some level needed to happen um what 
what ended up transpiring was that it it became very clear that although Magic Leap One was an incredible piece of technology that bested everything on the market, um, there wasn't a market for it because it was not a form factor that was consumer ready. There wasn't a content ecosystem available to consumers that made that device valuable. And so it was an incredible piece of tech pointed at, at the wrong market. And the right market actually came back to us in feedback during the launch of Magic Leap One from enterprise customers who were really finding incredible amount of value in that and, and asking us for modifications and when, when were we going to make the platform more enterprise ready because they saw value mm -hmm. right now. And so Magic Leap 2, um, well, there was a shift. Um, the company announced a shift to, to really focus more on enterprise as the consumer market took its time to develop. Um, Magic Answer one thing. When was that? You came yeah. You came in in 2018. So when was that? And, and obviously yep. they were thinking about the shift. When was that announcement? kind of public when did the public so, part of the, the transformation first, start first started to talk about it publicly i mean again you know there was conversation with enterprise going the entire time that i had been there um probably toward the end of 2019 is when i think we made our first sort of public statements about how we're going to focus on enterprise um and then the pandemic hit and magically put through some radical changes and a new ceo was brought in and she brought with her uh, along with you know it's a 20 something year career in technology she brought unbelievable focus to Magic Leap. She, she agreed that Enterprise was the right place to go, but she took it even further. She's like, there are, there are three verticals that we know that this technology can impact in the positive right now. And also three industries where the form factor is less of an issue because they're already used to wearing gear on their head or over their eyes, right? So you think about manufacturing and industrial use cases where safety goggles are a normal part of doing, doing your job. Medicine, where they're used to wearing, again, safety glasses or magnifiers um, already. And then in the public sector, you think about police, first responders, you think about defense, all of them used to wearing uh, headgear and all of those industries also investing heavily in future technologies to evolve their businesses. So they, those became the three enterprise verticals that we knew would be um, first to hit. And then we looked at the use cases um, that we thought would be most effective. And so those were training applications, 3D visualization, the ability to provide remote assistance. Um, and that became the, the focus for Magic Leap as we began to look at the platform, look at the hardware, and began to purpose build those things for that enterprise market. Yeah, that's, and what you that's see today in Magic Leap. Yep, that's what you see today in Magic Leap 2 is 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 that purpose-built device yeah absolutely i think i think it's the story of anybody who's been in xr for very long that you've got to have the guts to pivot and and we've had to do that but our ship is a little bit smaller than your ship uh so to make that that sort of a radical shift i think is super impressive but i mean we're seeing the same thing and we, we weren't in in consumer we were in entertainment but it, it just feels like whether it's ar or vr the the magic right now is an enterprise. I think that's where people are seeing yeah. the, the most powerful use cases. And, and to your point, I hadn't thought about the form factor that it's more acceptable there, right? Like that's a huge issue. Yeah. We got a ton of feedback on form factor, by the way, before Magic Leap 2 came out. So we've reduced the, the volume, the weight of that device significantly, right? So it's like 250 grams or so, and about the same weight as a pair of Bose, um, a Bose you know, earphones. Um, they wanted um, the ability to wear it all day long. They wanted longer battery life, and then they needed us to overcome barriers to adoption, namely, you know, 
image quality, color fidelity, text legibility, all things that people really struggled with. And one of the big ones was how do we increase the number of environments that you can use this device in? Because you know, AR is a light additive technology. So you're competing with natural light all the time, too bright, too shiny an environment, and you get washed out imagery. And that's where dimming came into be. And so we figured out a way to actually create black uh, in, in the field of view, which is in incredibly challenging to do, but we figured out how to do it both in sort of small portions of the field of view or which is segmented dimming or globally dim the entire background so that if you're in one of those environments, you can still access that information. So you can think about a surgeon wanting to be able to still see his patient in full light, but then have data feeds above him or her with the dimming behind them so they can really have high contrast of the environment they're in. And you can do that with, with, uh, with the Magical AP platform. So those are all the sort of things that we look to to put into the next device so that they answered those challenges, those barriers to adoption that that have really kept XR and AR from really entering the enterprise in a significant way. Could you talk a little bit more about how you see the Magic Leap 2 headset positioned in the market? And maybe any, you mentioned a few key differences, but any other things that you feel like are advances or innovations that you guys have are bringing to the market with it? I mean, I think, I think that the, the things I talked about were, were the big ones. Those are the big challenges that really Enterprise was looking for us to solve for them. Um, I'm, I'm excited about the fact that we, we really did that. Um, you know, the I think the, one of the things that makes me most excited about the platform is that there's still room to go. If there there are other there are other platforms out there that chose different technologies for projection uh, than than we did. And what although they got faster, they were went to market faster than we did. Um, what they found is that the the platform is now sort of dead ended at its current set of capabilities. Whereas we still have sites on increasing that field of view and crisping up those images and, and delivering even even more value through our through the engineering platform that we chose for projection. So um, what I'm excited about is that this is a platform that has longevity, that um, that we have sight to the next generation and the next generation after that. Um, and we can talk to our customers about that. We can bring them into our ID lab and show them the models around you know, shrinking down that device and showing them what that'll look like and giving them a line of sight, both in the optics and the hardware side of it, um, how we're going to get there. And so that gives great confidence to, to customers knowing that we have line of sight for multiple generations of devices um, and that the platform is so capable of delivering them. So a lot of our listeners are are in the enterprise space. Many of them have either done pilot projects and are scaling or they're thinking about doing their first pilot project. Could you zoom out a little bit from, and you talked about the specific technologies that are different, but as far as like the enterprise platform you guys are bringing to market, whether that's the sales process, the warranties, the financing, the support, talk a little bit about what, what you're offering to the enterprise audience that, um, that you're, you're, you're looking to hit. I think that the device is now built for enterprise environments, right? So you think about security protocols, data, um, we're, we're cloud agnostic. So we're, we're, we're open as you possibly can. Our mission for Magic Leap is to really push the technology forward, make it as useful as possible. And so for that, for us, that's our business model. We're, we're trying to get as much of this tech into the market as possible. So a walled garden for us, right? Figuring out how to, how to use data in other ways to either you know, to gain insights about your customers or drive storage. Um, that's not in our business model. We are, we are about making sure that the device delivers the most value to the end user. And so we've built the platform in that way. Uh, and I think it's incredibly attractive to to our enterprise customers. So not only is it now battle ready for integration into a, a true IT stack, 
it's also giving them the flexibility that they need to control the data that they have, to control how, how the individual users on the floor of a factory or in a hospital are using it. You want to go into kiosk mode and limit that device to one function? You can do that. You want to open that up? You can do that. But those are those are critical things that we had to answer before we could truly call this an enterprise device. It's not simply about field of view and the technology. All those things were super important, but it also had to be a real piece of enterprise tech. Love it. Do you have any specific customer stories you could share with the ML2 that that get you know that would get us excited? Sure. I think um, you think about the use cases. Um, training is is one of the ones that I think is is most surprising, uh, and, and not because you know it's hard to imagine us using AR for a training thing, but the benefits of it actually are the surprising part. So there's this great company out in in the Midwest called PBC Linear, and they're using Magic Leap to, to train new employees. They were finding that that they were losing their, their manufacturing employees at a, at a high rate because they were retiring. They were struggling to bring on new employees. So before those employees left, they wanted to make sure they had a means of capturing all that tribal knowledge, all the stuff that you just know by working there for 20 years. How do you capture that and turn it into a training scenario so that new employees can access that when they run into trouble? And so... They use Magic Leap and, and, a, and a solution called Tactile, and they built out this training system for, for training folks on the line, right? So instead of going into a classroom and learning through presentations and books and videos, you're learning on the, on the floor, on the line. And what they found was it reduced training time by about 80%, wow. and it reduced waste, uh, manufacturing waste by 25%, wow. right? So now they're, they're, they're training faster and they're training better because there's less waste. The interesting thing was that when they introduced the Magic Leap device into the recruiting process, recruiting became easier because the mm. job wasn't seen as sort of old school of manufacturing. It was seen as a high tech job. And then the really interesting part was wow. employee engagement went up by about 30%, right? And so now you're not only are you recruiting them faster, you're training them faster, they're better at the job, but they're also staying longer because they're engaged wow. in, in the work. And that it gets at the very heart of the biggest crisis facing manufacturing, right? It's not supply chain, it's not material costs, it's not shipping, it's not the, the recession that everybody is worried about that is coming. It's about people. And this training application gets to, is a solution for that. Not um, And that to me is incredible. That's one of the great things about AR is that even when a solution is designed to do one thing, the other benefits that come with it are, are incredible. And discovering those things and figuring out how to bring those to market and help companies understand how to leverage the technology for those things. That is what is really exciting about this moment uh, in AR. I love it. I think I think training is just is is a huge use case right now that we're seeing exploding in the enterprise space. And in some ways it doesn't surprise me because you're competing against essentially somebody watching a horribly produced 2D video or, you know, a textbook or a PowerPoint and then answering multiple choice test versus actually simulating in real life and, and being able to see it. I love the idea with AR that you can actually, you can mix reality so you can have an overlay and you can, uh, whether that's medical or manufacturing, it's so much more tactile. Sure. It's, it's, you're actually doing the thing with your hands and creating that muscle memory. Um, that that's, I love the stat too. Did you say 80%? That's, that's a huge 80% faster training. Wow. So when you have numbers like that, it starts turning heads at the leadership level, right? Like that's where if you're trying to justify the cost for implementing new technology, what else could you do where you get an 80% improvement? 
yeah, there there are not very many things that you can point to that says it's it's that dramatically better, right? So you you mentioned something about muscle memory. I think that's a that's a key part of the training aspect. So we have a company called Avrio who does a lot of first responder training, active uh-huh. shooter training, safety training. And what what I never knew about the training of police officers for active shooters is it doesn't happen as often as it is. It's really expensive. You've got to build physical sets. Yeah. You have to hire actors. You have to fly people out to do it. It's really intensive when it comes to the, the expenditure for a local police force to to get that training for their officers. With with Avrio's solution, they can build out digital environments or they can augment physical environments digitally so that there are an infinite number of scenarios they can walk these, these officers through and they can train over and over well, and over again and get those neural and you know muscle memory connections so that they are they're not surprised and they're sort of it becomes you know a very natural response something they've been trained to do and you know what what their hope is is that there are now it's better outcomes you know police officers are better prepared for those oh. scenarios and they can better respond and hopefully do so with you know, with less with less force than would otherwise be be necessary yeah i love it so much i mean it's just for those of us who have been in XR for so long, I think sometimes it's like we're just in it. We're fighting the battle every day to push these things forward. And it's so good to pull back and to kind of see, okay, there's some fruit of our, all of our collective laborers that, that people are learning faster, that yep. dangerous or difficult tasks are now being, you know, we can do, we can do them in a repetitive way in a safe environment at a lower cost. It's, it's really, really, really exciting. I think sometimes we talk about, let's make sure we appreciate this moment that we're in because there will be a time when we look back and this will all just be normal. And, and we're kind of, we're in the transition right now, which I think is, is yep. super, super cool. We'll um, look back and wonder how did we do any of these things without, without AR? Yeah, or, exactly. Without XR. Right. I mean, it's safe. We hear 80%, 75%, 60, I mean, that type of improvement learning all the time, right? And I think we, we will look back and think, you used to spend this much time doing that. And, you know, yeah, yeah, it's, it's really fun. It's exciting. And, uh, it's why we, it's why we got into cool XR to, in the first place. Really? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it, it's cool to see that, um, although gaming and that stuff is fun and having fun is, is good. It's cool to see that there's really meaningful use cases that are kind of driving this, this whole thing forward. Um, yeah, it's interesting you know, that you keep seeing videos out, uh, you know, about, Someday in the metaverse, and someday with yeah, AR, you'll be able to do this. And someday, yeah. someday, and it, it's funny to me because actually, that someday is right now. There are surgeons totally. who, you know, taking this magically too into the operating room. There are people doing trainings. There are people reducing that time to train on a factory floor, solving real people challenges. Like that someday is is right now. It's and it's a, it's incredibly exciting to see the ecosystem catching up to the hardware and those things being implemented and, and really creating real change. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it does feel like it's kind of happening, uh, you know, behind the scenes almost. You know, we're up to, I think, we're working with 80 of the global Fortune 500 companies. And we're talking some of the biggest, oldest companies in the world that you would never guess have this massive XR initiative. Some have been but working on it for eight plus years and they're just now starting yeah, to go yeah. to scale it's just with multiple different out. use yeah. cases. It's just taken that long for them to really figure it out and for the technology and all the people and processes and everything to mature. And I look at AI right now, and it's having another moment, right? So, yeah. you, you know, you guys can remember when IBM's Watson became a huge thing, and it was like, oh, Watson's on Jeopardy, and it's being, <laughs> you know, so and so in chess, and then, and then it just kind of went away, or so we thought, right? And actually, what it ended up doing is completely revolutionizing the advertising industry, and 
you know, you had all these incredible inference engines built and it, you know, it turned out to be churning out, you know, trillions of dollars of value quietly. And now chat GPT sort of, you know, brings it back and everybody's like, oh, AI, that's amazing. It's like, well, actually for the last 10 years, it's been revolutionizing whole industries. I think AR is in that moment too, where, you know, you see these bubbles happen and people get interested and then they go, they go quietly away and do that, the hard work of figuring exactly. out how to make it really right. valuable. And now we're in one of those moments where that, that implementation is happening. Yeah, no, that's great perspective. I love that. Uh, another question. So uh, some of our team, we're working with you guys on, on go to market and we're offering the free 90 day trial, I think for customers who purchase Arbor along with your headset. Um, and so some of our team got to go and tour your factory and I know they were just oh, very, very impressed, right? I mean, with just how open and transparent and, and the process and the way you're thinking about things, yeah. they, it just across the board, they're just very, very impressed. Um, I know in a recent interview, you talked about another shift within Magic Leap of going from uh, just being a bit more open and transparent with the public. Could you talk about kind of that shift? Sure. I mean, I think, um, you know, Magic Leap had been uh, famous for how secretive it had been. Uh, and I think that when when Peggy came in, it was sort of, why? Why would we do that? Let's let's open up the doors, open up the windows, show people what we're doing. I mean, the technology is it's very well protected, um, and it's not exactly like somebody can just you know, pop up and try to replicate, you know, what took us a decade to to figure out and, and sort of you know patent. So um, there was no reason not to, and it gave us a huge amount of credibility. When we were bringing Magic Lead back to market as an enterprise company. That was a big credibility builder. Here are our optics. Here's how we built them. This is how they work. Yeah. Um, you know, when we we started to trial the device for for tech media and analysts, it was. Give us, give us the early feedback. We're nine months, six months away from launch. Like, let us, let us know what you think. We, we want the device, device to be super useful. We want it to be well received. And, uh, you know, we got great feedback, and we've had a great response to it. And um, we're, we're excited about about that relationship we now have with the market, which is open, transparent. There's lots of two-way conversation. Our early access program gave us a ton of data on what our customers were really looking for, how they were really using it, and you know, now we're seeing. The fruits of all that that effort and coming with these with these incredible ISV solutions coming to market that were built on all the information they were able to get from this much more transparent Magic Leap. Yeah, definitely. I think we we've gone through again a smaller ship, but it is hard when you're running a company with an emerging technology. There is this, you know, should we be Fine secretive? Line. Should we not? Yeah, what's the like? We want to honor our investors. Like, what what's the wise path? I will say what we found again and again, and Will's always been really good at pushing me on this is I don't think there's ever been a time when we've been transparent that it didn't wasn't a good thing. And yeah. and every time that we thought we needed to be secretive, I think we kind of look back and thought, I, no one even cared. you know. So I, I think it's hard to make that shift. It is kind of this risk. You got to jump out. But we found the same, that the market appreciates it. And that if you've got real value and you're building strong relationships, you you are protected for the most part. You know, We found that to That's be... Right. Um, I'd love to hear, you mentioned at the very beginning, kind of the three different verticals that you're focusing on. Um, is there one of those for you personally that you're most excited about? Kind of the the benefit that AR can bring over traditional learning or training, whatever the case may be. I think with my background, the the healthcare side of things gets me very very excited. Um, I've seen some unbelievable applications that you know have the potential to really radically change delivery of care, access to care, um, better better outcomes for patients. It's um, it's one of those moments where, you know, 10 years from now, we'll look back and say, how did doctors do this without, without this ability to have all this information at their fingertips? There, there are two that I find really especially exciting right now. One of them is a company called Senti, Sentiar. 
And what they've done is they've created a solution that helps a doctor with cardiac catheterization, right? So if you currently have a cardiac catheterization procedure, the doctor will insert the catheter into a vessel. And then they're looking at a 2D screen over here while you know, your patient's over here. So screen, patient, and you're navigating while, while looking at a 2D version of what you're doing. It's, it's incredible the mental gymnastics we ask the physician or the, the operator to do. With ZDR, you get the, the catheter goes in and it feeds back to the device information that allows you to create a 3D model of the vessel that the doctor is going through. And so now they have real-time feedback and real-time visualization of where that catheter is in the body. So you can imagine what that would do for accuracy and safety of the patient. And so that is something that we would never would have seen before. I saw another one from a company called Polaris based out of Miami. It's going to revolutionize the accuracy of knee replacements. Currently, the state of the art is a million-dollar robot that really only gets used in major hospital centers, university medical centers, um, you know, major urban centers, that sort of thing. And so it's funny that the doctors who do the most procedures are the ones who can afford that machine, but they're also the ones who are most expert and probably need it the least. What Polaris has done is they've created an incredible way to use AR to guide the physician or the surgeon in measurements and where to cut while doing a knee procedure. Because you know, in a knee procedure, they remove, you know, they cut the bone on both sides of the knee and they put in a replacement joint. The device can help them understand and pre-visualize where they're going to cut, what impact that will have. And it, it, the intent is that it incredibly increases the accuracy um, of those cuts and where they should be. The, they'll do it at a fraction of the cost. And what that means is those doctors who don't do the procedure, you know, 10 times in a week, um, are going to have be able to deliver that same level of accuracy at a fraction of the cost. So now community hospitals, smaller places and more rural areas now have access to this. And the patients now have access to better care through these uh, incredible innovations in AR. And so those are the things that get me excited, seeing better outcomes for patients and getting that level of care reach people who would never get it before, who would not have access to it before. That, those are truly exciting things. And, you know, from, from my background, they're some of the things that get me most excited about AR. Yeah, that's really cool. My, my wife is also a physician. And, you know, I think about, she's had several friends for, for fellowship would go, you know, across the country for two years, be away from their family yeah. to get that specialized training, right? That, that can yeah. now potentially happen uh, at home, which is, which is really cool. Uh, and I think too about the cadavers. I know they're moving some cadavers, you know, into VR, AR, and, and even that, the, the way that that w went down, you know, they would have a dinner with the family who, who donated the body, which is important. You want to honor the, that, but it's just such a strange, I think we'll look back and think, wow, how, is that really how we used to do it? And now, yep. uh, it can all be done digitally, which is, which is really, really cool. Um, another question, you know, I think overall, I mean, we, we exist as a company to remove friction. You know, it's a simple way to stay, say it. simple, uh, reduce friction for the adoption of XR. And we talk a lot about, you've got one shot at a first impression. There's a lot of resistance to AR and VR out the gate for several different reasons. And there is also just this inherent friction. I mean, there's several friction points all along the journey. And so I think all of us collectively are working. How do we remove the friction? Uh, how do we make this very seamless? What have you seen so far, you know, in the process of, uh, of driving adoption of AR, I mean, what are some of those friction points and how, how have you all worked to overcome those? I think some of them are the ones we talked about, which are basically on the design of the hardware piece of it. Right? So those are big friction points, right? For, for adoption, because if you couldn't get people to wear it, uh, they, 
they wouldn't. Um, I think the other piece now becomes the delivery of value. So really about driving understanding in the marketplace about what the value of this technology is. You know, it's, you know, that's great that you have the most advanced, most immersive AR technology on the market. What does that mean? What does that do for me? How do I implement that? Is it going to be disruptive to my business in the bad way? Um, what's the right way to roll this out? And so those are the questions now we're having to help our customers better understand as they as they progress down the path of you know developing POCs and implementing these things and scaling them in their companies. Those are the questions we have to answer. I think the number one thing that anyone can do to drive better adoption uh, and remove friction from AR is help people understand the ability of the platform to deliver value now at this moment in time. There's no arguing with whether it's you know, more efficiency, cost savings, better outcomes. Like those are things that you just can't you just can't argue with. There are things that everybody wants, right? Um, on the manufacturing side for training, those levers that we're that we're able to pull on faster training time, reduce the waste, faster recruiting. Hold on, those are all the levers manufacturing is looking to to pull at this moment in time. And when we can show them that we can deliver that, it removes a lot of friction because when you when you have an actual solution for real business challenges. That removes a lot of it right off the bat. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. We've seen that again and again as well. As as if we can if we can show results quick, and it's the results we know, right? But we need the decision makers in these large companies to see and understand yeah. those. And then it's pretty easy. I mean, it really does sell itself. I think if you can get to that when you're eighty percent reduction in training time, it's it's gets <laughs> a lot easier to justify the cost of a few headsets. Yeah. that's right. And, and on the training side, one of the other big. Go ahead. So oh, go ahead. Now, one of the big barriers that we're seeing is that there's a confusion about, you know, the difference between VR and AR. And I yeah. think we, we suffer a little bit of an industry from that, a bit of a hangover from enterprise investment in VR for applications that perhaps it wasn't well suited for. And so we're having yeah. to overcome that, that barrier now too. And I think the device and its ability to allow people to see the physical world and, and be much more comfortable, not cause eye strain, not cause nausea, not cause discomfort to the user. I mean, that, you know, our platform was built to avoid all those things. And so once people understand that these are radically different technologies, they have very yeah. different user profiles and use cases, that's um, that's another big thing that I think we, we have to do an even better job. And now that pass-through VR is coming into the market, yeah. I think it's another thing that we have to begin to explain. Like, oh, well, I can still see the real world. It's like, try to catch a, try to catch a tennis ball wearing a pass-through <laughs> VR device and see what happens. And nine times out of 10, you won't be able to catch that ball because there's that lag you know, it sort of exacerbates even further some of that discomfort that, that, that folks are feeling with VR. I can't imagine a surgeon operating with a pass-through device, right? With with any sort of lag, any ability not to see you know, the actual patient with their own eyes. Like the idea that you disintermediate the best computer to to interpret the physical world, the human brain with, with cameras on a device is... is yeah, it's interesting to me. So um, I think we need to do a better job of really helping people understand how these technologies are different, what they're actually really good for. And there are incredible use cases for VR and there are incredible use cases for AR. Um, I think we just need to do a better job helping people understand which one is for what. Yeah, that's a really good point. And maybe that's a great, that's a great uh, segue to a wrap here. So as we look at the next five to 10 years, AR versus VR, you know, it, you kind of answered this already a little bit, but do you see the two competing? How do you think AR fits in over the long haul versus VR uh, and enterprise specifically? I mean, I, I, I see, I see AR being the dominant technology and not because I work at Magic Leap, but because of the, just because of the, 
the diversity of environments that you'll be you'll be able to use it in, and how mm-hmm. and the safety factor that comes in there. Right? You, there are few use cases where you're going to be completely comfortable with being completely disintermediated in the physical world. Mm-hmm. Um, there there are stationary use cases where you know you don't need to interact with folks. Most jobs you you need to be aware of your surroundings. You want to be aware of the people around you. I mean. Hell, at the promise of this device is that we can stop staring at this <laughs> screen and we can actually look up and I can still look you in the eye and still get access to that incredible data and information I need. So for me, I mean, I think AR feels like the, it is the, 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 the medium that's going to deliver the most value. And it'll be the one where we start to see mass adoption, both on the enterprise side and then eventually as the, as the ecosystem catches up and form factor takes the right shape on the consumer side as well. Yep. Yep. That's very good. Well, Daniel, we really appreciate your time today. This has been great. Love hearing the stories, love hearing the vision and very excited to see uh, what the Magic Leap 2 does in the marketplace. Uh, So thanks for joining us today. Thanks. Thanks so much. Man, really cool to see the shift from consumer to enterprise and, you know, us kind of going down a similar path, understanding how difficult that is. I think it's, um, it's impressive. It speaks to where the market's at. Uh, it's also cool to see big companies like Magically getting into more meaningful applications uh, of the technology where people are giving, getting their time back, they're learning faster. Um, I mean, it's so many really cool stats when it came to uh, really improving a company's um, employee experience. We've been following uh, Magically really since the beginning. And I think they were, they were early in AR, yeah. even for the enterprise space. And they started in consumer and now they've shifted over but it really is impressive what they've built. Um, the form factor, the, the, you know, you mentioned 4,000 patents. It, there's a base of technology there that I think as AR states, starts to take off, I think what interested me, his comment about try to catch, um, you know, a tennis ball in mixed reality. I think there is a reality mm-hmm. that we're so focused on VR right now because we're seeing it explode. Uh, but I think AR is mm-hmm. coming. And I think when it does come, it's going to be a significant technology that's more accessible for the reason he gave. I mean, one, can't catch a tennis ball even with with mixed reality. Two, not that many people want to have a headset that occludes their vision. Uh, We want to see. We want to see our environment. We want to see the people around us. Um, So I I think it got me excited just about the potential of AR. And I think as they start to see penetration in the enterprise space, I think he's right that eventually it will start to bridge over more to the consumer side of things. So it'll be fun to see where it goes. Yeah, I definitely uh, feels like there'll be a lane for both. And it's fun to see AR kind of finally starting to get a little bit of legs. I I also really appreciate their focus on the customer and listening to feedback and and, and the willingness to be more open and transparent. I think that's huge. And I think it will serve them. Well, a a tangible point of Uh, that is that their last platform, the Magic Leap One, was built uh, on a, you know, it's now AOSP and and we can can support it where it wasn't possible for us to to support the Magic Leap One. So, I think that even their underlying technology Absolutely. infrastructure has changed to make that uh, more to make it more possible for developers and for ecosystem partners like us to to work closely with them. Well, thanks so much for joining us again. Uh, make sure you subscribe wherever you consume your podcasts, and we look forward to seeing you next time.